0: We give participants in a wide range of social change work a chance to take a longer view as they talk about what they do, how they do it, and why they do it. On this week's show, I will be speaking with Parker Ma. The official version of multiculturalism that dominates in Canada teaches many of us, I think especially white Canadians, to think about racial and ethnic difference almost entirely in terms of a simplistic and monolithic understanding of culture. And of course, culture matters. But to really get at how people's lives work, culture has to be understood in a much more complex and heterogeneous way than the media and school teach us to recognize. And even the many different things that get bundled together as culture Don't come close to explaining people's experiences if you don't also talk about both histories and present-day realities of racial discrimination, exclusion, subordination, exoticization, slavery, colonization, genocide, and all the racist imagery and narratives that go along with those things, not to mention all the interconnected stuff to do with gender and class and sexuality and ability, too. And of course, the many many different strategies that different people and groups that are targeted by racism in Canada have taken up to resist, to survive, and to thrive. Being Chinese in Quebec is a documentary film by Malcolm Guy and William Deere that sets out to explore some of that complexity in a specific context. It asks, what do young Chinese people living in Quebec think about themselves, their community, and their identities? How do they connect that to the histories of the racist Chinese Head Tax and Chinese Exclusion Act in Canada, and to the experiences and struggles of older generations? The film traces the journey of discovery of two young Chinese Quebecois, Bethany Orr and Parker Ma, as they speak with a wide range of younger Chinese Quebecers about these questions and also explore them for themselves. I speak with Ma about the origins of the project and the making of the film, about some of the histories of Chinese experience in Canada and Quebec, about experiences and strategies and struggles, and about some of the key ideas explored in the film. I spoke with Ma by Skype to phone from Montreal. My name
1: is Parker Ma. I'm a multimedia freelancer, and I also do music on the side. I also host a radio show on CQT. I've been involved in different aspects of the Chinese community, the young Chinese community in Vancouver and in Montreal for about 19 years. The film is called Being Chinese in Quebec, and it's one of the first, if not the first, attempt to document the life and experiences of the young generation of Chinese Quebecers. It's an exploration of what the young generation of Quebecers of Chinese origin are going through and how they see themselves. And it's also a film that's being used as a platform to talk openly about issues of race and identity, things that are not always easy for Chinese people to talk about. And hopefully as a stimulus to talk about these issues within the larger Chinese community and with immigrants and minorities in general. The first time I got involved was through my involvement with the New Voices Project, The New Voices Project is a project that started in Vancouver. A group of people decided to do a project which essentially was addressing what we saw as the lack of literature or artistic projects, creative projects, that dealt with the experiences of the young generation of Chinese Canadians. We had grown up on the Waste and Choice, uh, the Amy Tans, and so on, people who were talking about essentially first and second generation Chinese Canadian experiences. And that's really important work, I and mean, we acknowledge that work. But we also found that like it didn't address, as, as a fourth generation Chinese Canadian myself, I couldn't necessarily identify with those characters. Here I am. I am born and raised in Vancouver. I speak English and French. French and English was my first language. So I didn't really have problems with integration growing up. But that doesn't mean that I don't carry with me the beginning of certain malaise with respect to my own identity and, and why, why I, aren't I accepted on the same terms as, uh, you know, a white Canadian is in this society. So the linguistic project started as a literary compilation in Chinese and English to address what we saw as a void in the Chinese-Canadian literary sphere. After that and a few other side projects, Rob and I both independently moved to Montreal and we sort of refound ourselves there and we said, oh, oh, look, we should pick it up again and let's do something else and let's do it as a multimedia project, and we started doing this project through the Center for Oral History and Digital Storytelling, which is based in the History Department at McCoy University in Montreal, and we decided to try and interview mm-hmm. some interesting Quebecers, young Quebecers of Chinese origin, who uh, were not just from Montreal, who were coming from rural areas as well, who were francophone, who were anglophone, who were typical Chinese, who were atypical Chinese, whatever that means, but a wide variety of people as possible, interviewing them by using oral history techniques about how they were founded growing up in Quebec and trying to compile that into something. Now, unfortunately, the project wasn't completed because we didn't have a budget, and also a number of people moved away. So, I was already kind of doing activities on my own, and going out and doing interviews, finding interesting Chinese people from the younger generation, and talking to them, filming them. Around the same time, independently, the public So Miki who are the producers of the film, Uh, were awarded a grant by the Community Historical Recognition Project to start a film that dealt with the legacy of the Head Tax and the Exclusion Act in Quebec, which is a sequel to a film that had been done previously by the same directors, William Deer and Malcolm Guy, called uh, Moving the Mountain, that was done almost 20 years previous. So, around that time, they started pre-production for the film and they were trying to look for people to participate. They heard about myself and Bethany's involvement in the project and they approached us to First, the characters in the film, the people that they interviewed, eventually that the idea of us becoming the sort of animators of the hosts in the film.
2: I know from a few of the things that I've seen about the film that one of the things that it tries to do is connect the experiences of young people today to some of the broader history of Chinese people in Quebec and in Canada. So maybe lay out in a brief and general way for folks who might not know any of that history what it is that you're connecting these recent experiences of younger people to. In the mid-1800s, Chinese
1: people started coming to Canada and the United States For the gold rush, and later to infamously complete the rail line that would connect eastern Canada with Vancouver, Chinese labor was used in the late 1800s to complete the part of the railroad that was the most dangerous, which was through the Rockies. And many of them died in the process. That's the completion of the railroad, the Canadian government did everything they could to prevent their integration into society, and they started enforcing a series of racist laws that limited the uh, movements and the, the freedoms of Chinese citizens in Canada, but also limited the movements between countries, specifically coming into from countries. The most famous of which is the head tax. It's 1885, when the first head tax was passed, essentially it was a $50 tax that said, basically, you, you can leave for free, but if you want to come back in, you have to pay $50. And this is the head tax that was only levied against Chinese people. After they found that that was not stopping flow of immigration, they raised it to $100 and then $500 spending in 1903. To give you some perspective, that is about the equivalent of two years of salary or uh, of a house. You can imagine working for two years straight just to leave the country and come back, in addition to all the travel fees. So, you can imagine that that put a threat on an already difficult existence. Both my great-grandfather on my father's side and my grandfather on my mother's side and paid the tax, affected their lives, uh, like it or not. I mean, if you look at the birth dates of my grandfather and his siblings, they're all five years apart exactly. Why is that? It's because it took my great grandfather that long to save up enough money to go back to his family, his wife, and kids who were in China, uh, essentially, you know, impregnate his wife and then go back. So, that continued until 1923. In 1923, the government instituted an act widely known as the Exclusion Act, the Chinese Immigration Act, as it's officially called, it, which pretty much stopped Chinese immigration entirely until 1947. No Chinese national was admitted, with the exception of some very, very limited diplomats and other people. Essentially, no Chinese person could enter the country, and this had the effect of complete family separation. Imagine my great-grandfather, who Spent most of his adult life in Canada. Had all his working likes and his businesses and stuff there, could not bring his family back. He essentially lived most of his life without seeing his wife. When the act was repealed in '47, and finally my family was able to come in '55, he was reunited with his family. But uh, as an old man, and a few years later, his wife died. So it's a very sad story, and it's one that led the Chinese community since then to fight for redress. And this redress movement has been going for at least three and four years, most strongly in British Columbia and in the western parts of the United States, but also all across Canada. And it's taken an extremely long time for the government to fess up to what it's done. The official apology was issued in 2006, but only to surviving head taxpayers and their spouses. And by that time, you can guess, <laughs> there was not that many of them actually left. So uh, the Harper government got off on a pretty easy PR stunt, and they were... Apologize and you know, pay off a small amount of people. So, a lot of people said that's not enough. The redress movement is still going, although it's not as strong as it was before. It's also changed its form a little bit, and people are asking for other types of things like acknowledgement of this alternative history that to be taught in schools and so on. So, it's not just a monetary thing, it's an apology thing. There's still calls upon the DC government to apologize, the provincial government, or the ones that were instrumental in drafting this law. So uh, that's the sort of history that young Chinese Canadians of third, or fourth generation are carrying with them.
0: I asked Ma to tell me a little bit about who they talked to for the film, and to tell me about what they talked to them about.
1: We didn't want to just stay in Montreal. That's a mistake that a lot of some things to make. We made a conscious decision to go out into different cities: Calgary, Quebec City, Leduc, Ski, Matane, Gaspé. And we wanted to basically find a a wide range of people as possible. The interview questions in the film, we discussed a lot beforehand in pre-production, and they were shaped a lot by Malcolm and William, the directors, We wanted to give a certain direction to the line of questioning and make sure that we covered all the bases at least, so we had material that would be consistently asked to all the participants. We wanted to try and really make conscious effort to ask about what was the connection, what they felt the connection was between their existence in Quebec and the legacy of the Head Tax and Inclusion Act. And we have to say that, unfortunately, it's not as known as it should be. That goes for people who have been here a while, but more, more so for people who have just come. A lot of mainland Chinese will say that they don't know about it. It's just seen We've asked the question, and the girl isn't really sure what it is. But once we tell her what it is, she's like, oh, yeah, yeah. it's important because the present comes from the past. And if it hasn't been for the struggle of those people, you know, maybe I wouldn't be here. So we try to make the link between that legacy and the present day. We're trying to look at, we trying to look at, at the three themes, I'd say, essentially. We're looking at self identity. This is the big one. How do Chinese Quebecers see themselves? What is their awareness of how they fit into the fabric of society Hand in Quebec? The second thing is media representation. So in what way are Chinese people represented in the media. In one way, they been represented in other spheres of society. The third thing is equal access to rights. Are Chinese people being given the same privileges that other members of society have who are not you know, people of color? Are Chinese people given equal access to rights, given equal access to social services, and so on? So the uh, questions had a lot to do with these major themes. And of course, the big question being, what is it like being Chinese and
2: and what were some of the major things that you heard from people along the lines of these three themes?
1: Um, well, they're, they're big themes, and I definitely can't pretend to say that the documentary answers all of them. It's really more exploratory in nature. Also because myself and Bethany were also exploring these issues personally as we were going through the film, and you can sort of see that because whether you like it or not, our stories are going to come out through our questions and through our interrogations. So for the issue of uh, relation to the head tax section sort of answered that. The second one was self-identity. I would say it varied widely. Uh, and we, we weren't able to find a convincing thing, thread that really united all of us other than the fact that we were of Chinese ethnicity. So that's something that some leave out there and doesn't answer in an inclusive way, but hopefully will lead people, will provoke them to thinking about that and then their own enemy. A second thing, me, Representation a big issue, but obviously one that's perhaps the most talked about in the film where we're talking on a dinner table, frankly, about, you know, what it's like to be Chinese in Quebec when a young man running in a exam raises the point that there's four major television series in Quebec, and he says in, in all four of these series, the Asian character is adopted. So what does that say about the value that Quebecois mainstream media places on, on being Asian, being Chinese? Equal access to services, again, there's a lot to be said for the progress we've made in, in the last 100 years, but uh, there's a long way to go to there's still uh, lack of access. There's still institutional discrimination that are preventing not only Chinese but uh, other minority populations from accessing services equally. So these are the broadly, very, very broadly, of course, there's more nuances than that. Systemat- are some of the things that the film tries to address,
2: to introduce. One of the key focuses of the film was that you were interested in hearing from youth. What can you say about the different strategies, different approaches that younger people use to navigating what it means to be Chinese in Quebec compared to approaches that their parents might have taken?
1: The strategies are quite different. There are some people who refold themselves into their own cultural niche and they you know, hang out with mostly Asian people. Yeah, this is the image that a lot of Kigakua have of Chinese, which is unfortunate. There are certain Chinese people who do this, yes, but it's not the majority. And I think this is something that the Chinese population gets demonized as it's people who reserve, who stay in their own corner, who don't quote-unquote integrate, which is such a loaded term, intimate politics other people have taken the route of embracing Quebec culture and even, like, championing it. Bethany and I, I think we take a more nuanced approach in that we're tempering our love of Quebec culture. I don't want to speak for her either, but I think she would agree with me in saying that, well, we've chosen Quebec as a place to live and as a place to settle. And so it has to be a reason. You know, it's not because I don't like this place that I'm staying here. I like this place. I like the culture. I like aspects of it. But certainly there is the impression that I'm perhaps not as accepted as I would be in Vancouver as a Chinese man, right? So why is that? Making this film has been a really important part of the, of the process of getting through that and thinking about the issue head
2: on. And I guess that leads into one of the other key specific things about the focus of the film, which is the focus on Quebec and As someone who has lived and done political work in the community in both Quebec and in English Canada, what's specific about the Chinese experience or the range of Chinese experiences in Quebec? And I'm hoping that we can talk about it in a way that undermines what often happens when white Canadians outside of Quebec talk about race in Quebec, which is pushing all of Canada's racism into Quebec in a way that denies English Canada's racism.
1: Certainly, I have to agree with you, I mean, racism doesn't just exist in Quebec, it exists everywhere. Quebec's racism seems to be, starts more on the spotlight. Why? Because Quebec is seen as a population that is itself a minority within a larger majority that is sometimes hostile. With respect to this, they resort to protectionist measures, some of which I agree with, like the language measures but other measures that are not so positive, not so beneficial. And that creates a, well, first of all, a more overtly political mindset. Second of all, there is there's a willingness to protect the culture that I, I feel like comes at the cost of a denial or of a, uh, a leveling down of the other minorities that exist in Quebec and that have existed for many years the enormous contribution that you know, Chinese people, Haitian people, Lebanese people, Bengali people have made to Quebec society in the last dozens decades, in the last you uh, know hundreds of years, I would say that growing up in Vancouver, as an Anglophone, regular Chinese kid growing up in the suburbs, I was labeled as uh, you know a piano player. I was labeled as a guy from Burnaby. I was labeled as the radio show or whatever. But I was never specifically labeled as Chinese. I'm not interested in It's only 40%, like 50%, you know, other Chinese, and Korean, Japanese, Punjabi, all sorts of different ethnicities making up, making up most of the Vancouver population. I wasn't forced to confront my identity until I got to connect. I was sort of forced to confront my own perceptions of my identity Uh, It's not a good thing or a bad thing, but it's definitely something that is different from what I was doing before. And it forced me to become more conscious about it and more conscious of.
0: In recognition of the fact that people of Chinese descent have engaged in collective organizing of various sorts, for purposes of mutual aid and to defend rights, for pretty much as long as they have lived in this part of the world, including active opposition to the Head Tax and the Exclusion Act in the first half of the 20th century, I asked Ma about the various ways that engagement with collective political work happens among young Chinese Quebecers today.
1: One of the great things about this film, I'm not going to say that it it spurred the Chinese Quebecer activist movement, but One thing I think it did do, at least for me, is they put me in touch with a lot of people who were actually involved in activist work. One thing that is perhaps a common factor in a lot of Chinese Chinese news is that most Chinese, especially children of immigrants, end up becoming professionals or becoming involved in professional associations that have to do with the, you know, quote-unquote typical occupations that are associated with Chinese, like doctors, accountants, lawyers, and so on. And there's nothing wrong with that. But at a certain point, myself, I'm none of those things. And growing up in, in, in Vancouver also. and coming back, I'm like, where are all the Chinese artists? At? Where are all the Asian activists? Where are all the people who want to talk about politics and talk about identity? Who identify as Chinese and talk about it through a Chinese perspective? I met a few of those people before I did the film. But after I did the film, I was put in touch with a whole lot of them. And I'm happy to say that that's been a really positive experience for me. That's one of the things that is endemic also in the general perception of Chinese people is that then there is no history of resistance. This is absolutely not true. There's a lot of homegrown resistance to different racist laws involving, for instance, sanctions on like where you could farm potatoes and uh, different things that sort of aim to target certain populations without putting it in so many words. And these were fought sometimes in the courts, sometimes with other means, by Chinese in previous generations and they're still being fought. I would say it's still happening. It's still happening in little pockets uh, here and there. I can't speak of a unified Chinese connector activist group, but perhaps other than the movement for redress, which is still going on. The Chinese community is not a homogenous entity. As I mentioned, there's part of the community that's really, you know, more in the professional association area. There's a community of young students who are as, as temporary or, oops, I'm going back, or are not really involved in the larger Chinese community. And then there's people like me, Bethany, who are from other parts of Canada, or perhaps you know, Anglophone, or you know, different artistic, artist networks or art activist networks. So it's hard to say that there's one large identity, and it's even harder to say that there's a dedicated group of just Chinese people who are working towards political change. However, they do exist. One of them is one that we interviewed in the film. It's a group of ex-garment workers who used to work at the Caligo factory and they were treated as as like, pigs and, and racist insults all at them. One of them was assaulted by the boss of this factory who said, you know, stuff like, Are you Chinese eat you like pigs? You have to wash your hands before you eat and so on. What happened was a bunch of them walked out and they filed a complaint and it was upheld in court. he was constantly appealed by this owner who felt that he had a right to say what he said on the grounds of freedom of expression. Finally went to higher and higher courts and they kept on winning. I believe it's still like, no, I don't think there's been a final decision, but that was a group of working class Chinese first generation immigrants who banded it together and did something that not a lot of workers in garment factories. Are able to do, which is find a force in the collective, speak out. They had a huge media support. They had a lot of supporters from around Canada and Quebec who rallied to the cause, and were able to get them some media and some victories in the government So it's one example that's very important that we are able to show in some. But other than that, of course, there's a lot of Chinese Quebecers who are involved in other causes that aren't necessarily oriented towards China, but are oriented towards rights, equal rights for people of all races. There's a lot of movements in Montreal that, I don't want to say that they have Chinese members because I don't want to tokenize them either, but there's a lot of dedicated Chinese activists who are working very hard in a lot of different causes all around Montreal and Canada, out of the solidarity across borders, solidarity for missing and murdered aboriginal women, and so on. So there's definitely no lack of activist thought and resistance in uh, a certain sector of the Chinese community. (laughs) I, I just have trouble saying Chinese community. Certainly it's not everybody, uh, but yes, absolutely.
2: So tell me about the kinds of conversations that have been stimulated by this film since it's been released.
1: Oh, the conversations have been so uh, varied and thought-provoking. The one comment I get a lot is from actually from non-Chinese. Other people of color, of different origins, comments, you know what? it was called being Chinese in Quebec, it could have been being Haitian in Quebec, it could have been being Lebanese in Quebec or whatever. The, the Chinese story still, we share a lot of different types of challenges that the other communities go through as well. Another interesting thing is the Québécois de Sush, reaction to the film. Some people are shocked, some people say, I didn't know about the history of the attacks and so on. Some people talk about their own perceptions of Chinese and how they changed or not changed. We've been able to show the film in Toronto, we've been able to show the film in Liyang in, in, in uh, even in Hong Kong. and the reactions to the film have been varied and interesting in every place.
2: This is always a tricky thing to answer with a, a major work, like a film or a book or something like that, but what do you hope that the film can accomplish out in the world, out in the community?
1: I think it can accomplish and it has accomplished to a small extent the creation of a platform for discussion as I said, for frank conversation around race and identity in what is already a very charged political environment around race and identity, even more so now with the charter, but also generally in Quebec it is. I hope that it will be able to go into schools, go into academic institutions and universities, both with young Quebecers and older ones, to really stimulate discussion around this, and not just with Chinese, but with Quebecois as well. Because ultimately what it comes down to is, what does it mean to be 'be Quebecois? Can Chinese people consider themselves Quebecois? Yes, they can. But if you do least street, can Quebecois consider Chinese Quebecois as well? So I think it's a film that can speak to a number of people on a number of levels. And my hope for it is that it'll, it'll continue to be used as a platform for discussion and hopefully get into schools and reach uh, people beyond what police on and us can do.
0: You have been listening to my interview with Parker Ma about the film Being Chinese in Quebec. To find out more about the film, search for Être Chinois au Québec on Facebook. To find out more about Talking Radical Radio, the guests, the theme music, and the ways that you can listen, or to make suggestions about topics for future shows, go to talkingradical.ca and click on the link marked radio. That's talkingradical.ca.